Good morning, Community Church. It's so good to be worshiping with all of you today. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. And thank you, community, for your generosity, especially these last couple weeks as we saw that shortfall disappear. So we thank you for that. Um, we are in almost nearing the end of our I Am series. We're well over halfway through Lent, which is hard to believe. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday, and we'll have Holy Week with a Monday Thursday service, a Good Friday service, and Easter service, um, and all of those will be online. And then very soon, hopefully, we'll actually be in person, which I'm excited to think about. So last week, we talked about Jesus who said, I am the gate, and he was the gate into the sheep pen, into communion with him, into community, but also the gate out to the world, out to flourishing. And Jesus is that gate that we go through to full life and to meaningful life. Today, we're in the same chapter of John, John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so it's closely linked to last week's passage. And um, today, we look at the next eight verses. I've asked Liza to read today's scripture. So let's have the reading of God's word now. John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The higher hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a higher hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I laid it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Liza, for that reading. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be working in this time, God, and in the whole service and in our whole lives, God. But I pray for the unpacking of your word, God. May you bring life to it, to us today. May you help us to immerse ourselves in it, to be transformed by it through the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's dig into this passage today. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This was significant for Jesus to say. Now, I want to hit pause and give you a chance to put something into the comment box. One day we'll actually be in person and I'll get to see your faces when we're doing worship together. But the chat box has been helpful in helping us to connect. So what I would like you to do is to think about the God of the Old Testament and what word immediately comes to mind for you about who God was in the Old Testament, and type that in. We're not, I'm not looking for any specific answers here, uh, right or wrong, but go ahead and put that into the chat box. Who do you think of when you think of God in the Old Testament? 
Is it creator God? Is it an angry God? Is it a God who's faithful, um, a God who's good? And um, again, just uh, go ahead and put that into the box there because what I want to do, because this is significant, what Jesus is doing here when he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, no doubt Jesus knew Isaiah 40 and this verse, he says, see the sovereign Lord comes with power. And when you see um, the word Lord, when it's all in caps in your Bible, that means it's Yahweh. Okay, so this is Yahweh. He comes with power and he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that a beautiful image of God? And perhaps it contrasts with your image of who God is when you look at the Old Testament. But we have this beautiful image of God as the shepherd in the Old Testament. And Jesus is applying that to himself. Again and again through these I am statements, Jesus is using these words, these descriptors from God in the Old Testament, and he's applying it to himself. I can remember as I looked at this passage, I was remembering sort of newly arrived to Hong Kong, and Maya was like three years old, and the streets are much busier here than where we lived in the U.S., and she would, you know, want to dart around and things like that, and so when we would cross the street, I would pick her up in my arms and hold her close as we walked to keep her safe. And it just reminded me of that image. And, and Jesus is saying, I am that good shepherd. God is so much more for us than that image of me carrying Maya, but it gives us a hint at his tender care and mercy. Jesus says that one day he will be laying his life down for his sheep. Now, the life of a shepherd was not an easy one. We might have sort of this idyllic picture of, you know, the shepherds at the nativity, and, you know, maybe we think it was a fun job. They're outdoors and, and things like that. But it was a role that was looked down on in society. If you were a parent, you did not want your kid to grow up to be a shepherd. It was hard work. You were looked down on. You put yourself in danger if you were a good shepherd. And yet throughout scripture, we see that God is turning things upside down. Jesus says he comes as the shepherd and not just any shepherd, but a good shepherd who's willing to give his life for us, willing to put himself in the way of danger for our benefit. Now, the disciples haven't quite yet connected um, what Jesus is doing and that he's going to the cross, even though he's told them several times this is where it is headed. They're not quite grasping that. And Jesus continues to provide a contrast between him and the religious leaders of the day. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is contrasting himself with the hired hand, which in this case is the religious leaders. Specifically, he's addressing the Pharisees here who were mostly concerned about themselves as they were following God, right? As they were 
helping people, supposedly helping people to connect with God, they, they created such a rigid structure that really was only about themselves and their views. So they had actually become barriers to God, these hired hands, these religious leaders, instead of helping people to connect with God. The religious leaders were barriers. They were a stumbling block. And maybe for a second, you can pause and think about your own role. If you're a follower of Christ right now, are, are you a connector with people to God or might you be a barrier to them? Are you more of a gate or more of a fence? more of a shepherd or more of a hired hand because we get to, as followers of Jesus, we all get to be in a role of helping people to connect. And oftentimes, when we look at examples like from the Pharisees, we can see that actually we might be barriers to other people. So hold that thought as we unpack some of the context. So later in John 10, verse 22, it says, "...the time came for the festival of dedication." It was winter. This festival of dedication here could also be um, translated as Hanukkah. This is the only reference in scripture to the festival of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is something that developed in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it was the seasons of Hanukkah. So let me provide just maybe a very brief uh, history lesson. Alexander the Great had conquered the Middle East and had brought in and influenced Jewish worship with Greek culture practices. Uh, Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek because many Jews no longer could read Hebrew. And some of the Jews resisted this influence of Greek culture and others embraced it, embraced it to the point um, that they were following, falling away from God. Eventually, there were Greek soldiers that desecrated the temple. They brought in pig's blood. They outlawed circumcision. They burned scrolls of holy scripture and put idols into the temple. And this led to a war between the Greeks um, and those Jews that were siding with the Greeks and the conservative Jews of the time. A leader wrote up Judas Maccabees who captured, recaptured the temple and he rededicated it. And you have this festival of eight days marking that rededication, festival of dedication, festival of Hanukkah. So this season, though, became a time where the Jews would ask difficult questions about their shepherds, their failed leadership. How did this happen? Why did the shepherds fall away? Where was God in all of this? And so this is the, the, the context that Jesus talks about, these very shepherds. So he's very relevant for the season. During this season, they would be looking at passages like Ex Ezekiel 34, where it says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. You do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not bought back the strays or searched for the lost. So Jesus uses this opportunity to talk about the type of shepherd that he is. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know the sheep and my sheep know me. Last week we looked at that fun video of a shepherd calling out and the sheep responding. And we as sheep can respond, but we also see that, that knowledge is mutual here, that Jesus also knows his sheep. 
It's not just the sheep know him, the sheep know the sheep know him and he knows them. It's a portrayal of this intimacy, this connection that Jesus has with us. I was thinking about this picture here um, during the week. It's in the church office and and it comes from the book that the church produced, He Knows My Name, um, years ago. But to me, it reminds me of this gentle embrace from the good shepherd to his sheep, to the child here and the close connection that Jesus desires for us so we can know him and he knows us. Now, sometimes we might relate to Jesus in the opposite way, maybe especially when we've messed up. Instead of running to the embrace of Jesus, maybe we run away in shame. We see Adam and Eve do this in the garden with God. They hide from God, and yet God pursues them. God goes after them. I know for me, when I've messed up, it's, it's I wish my impulse was run straight to God, run to that embrace, but often I find myself hiding because I begin to think about God's love as limited as mine, like God is just disappointed with me. He wishes I wouldn't mess up. His love is limited, and yet we see in this scripture that it is an unlimited love, an unlimited caring that he offers to us. And the reality is is he knows all of what we're going through anyway when we do well and when we don't do well. And he just wants us to share that with us. He wants to share in that close intimacy. Because that intimacy we see in verse 15 is reflective of the Father and the Son. He says, as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. And verse 16, now this is curious. Um, This seems like a departure from what Jesus is saying in terms of this intimacy, he starts to talk about this other flock, this other group that somehow is going to be included in one flock. Now, who are these other sheep? We don't exactly know. Some scholars think that it's the Gentiles, and and Jesus is letting them know, as, as, as we find in scriptures, that God was not just the God of Israel. He was meant to be the God of the whole creation, right? that Israel was to be a blessing to the whole world and that God has a heart for everyone. John 3 says 16, right? God so loved the world. Um, So some people think he's talking about the immediate context of the Gentiles, that they're no longer going to be enemies, but they're going to be friends of God. Others um, think and look to Revelation where We see in scripture that one day when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that who he is and the beauty of who he is will be irresistible to everyone. The point of all of this is, though, that Jesus is the one who knows who the flock is. He is the one who knows who the sheep is. And we see later in John, John 17, Jesus continues on this word of unity that there will be one flock And that's his prayer to the Father, that that unity of the church, that that unity of the flock will be reflected to the world and will be a testimony to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Paul picks up this theme as he 
as he argues for church unity in Romans 14, he, he lets the people know that they're all disputable matters in our faith, things we're not all going to agree upon. And he says, don't let those things be barriers to unity. You might have different beliefs. You might have different interpretations of Scripture, different lifestyle choices, but those are disputable matters. Let them not separate us. Let us not scatter the flock because of those things, but may we be united to Jesus. May he be the connector. May he be the shepherd that calls us all together. And that's a role that's reserved for Jesus, not for us. Eric and I, you know, have reflected on the church that we grew up in, and they really prioritized right belief. And of course, we were the only church that had those right beliefs, right? And now, it's good to have right beliefs, but when we begin to put ourselves as the only interpretation of what those right beliefs can mean, what does it lead to? Well, it leads to Jesus confronting the Pharisees, right? these scholars who knew Scripture better than anybody, and they'd become a barrier between the people and God. It leads to self-righteousness and pride. We begin to think of God's love as a competition, and if I can just get it exactly right, then we'll be God's favorites. And at least that's the perspective that I kind of grew up with in early days of my faith. It was not a generous orthodoxy, if you will. It was very limiting and very exclusive. And this passage, I think, speaks against that type of thing. Thank goodness Jesus gets to be in that role of the good shepherd and the judge, and in our next series, we'll look a little bit more at that. So verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Now, I want to clarify something here. We might read that and go, wait, is God's love for the son conditional? Like, he only loves God because... You know, uh, God only loves Jesus because he's going to lay down his life. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all here because earlier in John, we've seen all of these things already said that the father gives everything into the son's hand, that, that the father shows him everything, gives him life, gives him glory, gives him his name. And he has loved the son from the creation of the world. So this isn't a conditional love that Jesus is talking about, but he's talking about the close connection that he and the Father have. He's talking about they're on the same page with this. Jesus is going to the cross to obey the Father, but he's also going there under his own authority. He expounds on this in verse 18. He says, no one takes it from me, his life that is, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. So Jesus is not sort of um, disempowered in this situation. He actually has the ability and the authority and the power to, to make a choice in this situation. And he chooses the cross for our behalf. We see this close connection that, that Jesus has and this power that he has not only to lay his life down, but to retake his life in the resurrection now, the, the resurrection is not some sort of afterthought in God's plan, like God intervened and rescued his son from an unexpected tragedy. This was all part of what God was going to do. The empty tomb was the reality that Jesus knew he would be raised. This power of God could not be held back. The tomb could not prevail because of who God is. The tomb could not contain God. 
So Jesus is unified with the Father, and he has the power and the authority to conquer death. Now we're getting a little head to Good Friday and Easter. I was getting a little excited there. So we'll pause. Back to the passage of Good Shepherd. Okay, Jesus is that Good Shepherd. And good, I don't know maybe how we um, interpret that word. Maybe as a child, you know, we, you know, we, we wanted to be a good boy or a, a good girl in the sense that we wanted to make the right choices. Maybe we see it as a cold thing, as maybe even a moralistic thing, but that's not what's being conveyed here. This good word could also be translated as, as beautiful. It's appealing. It's inviting. It welcomes us in. And Jesus wants to welcome us in. He calls himself good shepherd to portray this compelling power of his love for us. Now, I want to look briefly at what Jesus is not called. We've seen and we're walking through these seven I am statements, right, about who Jesus is. Well, I was reading a book this last week, and it was like, what is Jesus not called? Jesus does not say, I am a cowboy, right? Now, I'm guessing none of us are shepherds, and none of us have been cowboys, right? So what does a cowboy do? Cowboy has to move the cattle from point A to point B, to move them from the pasture land to the market. They are driven. It's also not an easy job, but they are forced on a time schedule to get these cattle to the market to get the best possible prices. Cowboys do not have patience for the stragglers, right? They don't want any losses, but at the same time, they have to get the whole group there or as many that survive the trip. Jesus does not also say, I am a CEO, right? He is not beholden to shareholders. He's not looking at profits and efficiency. He's not leading from behind a desk. He's not distant from his workers. See, Jesus is describing the type of king he will be. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, let me lead you, let me push you, let me drive you, let me shout at you. See, and Jesus doesn't ask of his followers anything he's not already doing himself. He's not asking anything from them that he is not already doing himself. He leads by example. Now, the word pastor is transliterated from the Latin word pastor, and it means shepherd. And I love being a shepherd. I love being a pastor. I love helping people to connect with God. And I believe that God has the words of life, that Jesus is the source of life. And I want people to experience that as a pastor. And I love it. But I am not the chief shepherd, right? That is Jesus himself. We are all, as his followers, under shepherds of him with the hope with the desire, with the goal to connect people to the shepherd because none of us are perfect. I am far from perfect, whether it's not wanting to wipe up chia seeds on the counter at home or struggling to follow God with all my heart, with all my trust every day of the week at every moment. I've made mistakes and I will make mistakes, but friends, Jesus does not make mistakes. He is the good shepherd. He is the beautiful shepherd who cares for us perfectly, who walks with us, who seeks us out. In Luke, it says Jesus will leave the 99 to go after the one to bring them back. 
And maybe you are that one today. Maybe you haven't been tuning in to worship. Maybe this venue, this type of uh, this format has been a struggle. Or maybe you have been watching, but it, you're just in a dry desert place. Know that Jesus wants to come after you and does come after you because you are somebody he cares for and he loves. That is a good shepherd. Maybe right now you're feeling lost, you're fatigued, feeling forgotten. Maybe you're feeling like a failure. Where do you want Jesus to care for you today? Maybe this has been just a struggle this COVID season. Last week, we put in some of our hopes into the chat box, and I'm hoping those things do happen. Where do you need Jesus to minister to you today? Maybe your first time on the, the worship with us. Maybe you, you haven't yet crossed that threshold of faith in God. Maybe you've been here and you've been a Jesus follower your whole life. But know that Jesus forgives all of your old failures and your new failures. As, as early Christians, as we begin that journey, maybe it's easier to receive that forgiveness than when we've made the same mistake over and over and over again. Joe, who's doing, and, and Vicky's also doing these daily devotionals, but one of the things Joe said this week in, in terms of forgiveness, that there's no probation period required, and that really spoke to me. No probation period to receive God's forgiveness. He doesn't put us in the penalty box and say, you'll wait because you've been bad, right? He embraces us immediately, offering his forgiveness because he is a good shepherd. Now, many of us project our ability to love or our lack of ability to love upon God. We know that those people who have failed us, who have maybe disappointed us, that, that we struggle to love them. Maybe we struggle to forgive them, and we think that's how God must be, but it's not, friends. It's not who God is. For God to cease to love his sheep, God would need to cease to exist because he is love incarnate. We see this in 1 John 4, 16, and it says this, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God can love us perfectly, can shepherd us perfectly, church. And I pray that you open space in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your family to receive God's good love for us today. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are a good God. God, and I pray that we would allow your goodness to minister to us this morning. God, may we see you as not somebody that we have to hide from when we've messed up, that we don't have a probation period to receive your forgiveness, but that your goodness, God, is running after us. Jesus, your goodness is running after us because you're that type of shepherd who leaves the 99, tracks us down and brings us back. May we receive that this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen.